Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. If you want 15% off your surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to North Korea on the internet and use the code, capital letters, Grumpy Surf with an extra capital F on the end of surf to receive 15% off your purchase. This is part two of the podcast with Devon Howard. In this part, we talk about Devon's journalism and photography, the WSL longboard criteria, and the new surfboard concepts he's working on at the moment, plus a bunch of other subjects. So please enjoy part two of the show with Devon Howard. inspirations so you mentioned a few names like michael february and people like that tom curran they've got a very unique style who did you used to watch or grew up with that you feel that you gained your style from um a lot probably a lot when um i was a teenager um i I had a guy down the street um his name is joel tudor you might have heard of him <laughs> and yeah it's not, it's not really a big deal is he <laughs> so he, he was you know uh his brother and i are the same age joel's two years younger and same age as my brother so um there was a community of us and two other families with the same age brothers four different brothers all two years apart so we all ran around skateboarded rode bikes um the father would take us surfing uh, joel's father Anyways, when Joel got older, we know what his story is. And he would bring home, he'd go travel in his mid-teens. He'd bring home these videos from Australia from a guy named Dick Hool. And Dick Hool had this stash of old surf videos. So back then, there's no internet. And the only way to sort of like, you know, see what's going on is what's happening in your lineup or through old surf VHSs. And I gravitated toward the styles of a few surfers. I really loved Billy Hamilton's style. Um, I really love Matt Young's style um, and Mickey Dora. Not Mickey Dora the person, but I, I, I really admired the way he surfed. And I would say that I sort of, because I'm tall and, and, and not as lean as I was, but back then I was pretty tall and skinny and lean. Um, you, you know, you sort of, I think you look toward body types that are similar to yours. You know, you, you see the guys who, who, who would like a Mark Acalupo, they're usually a little bit shorter or stockier, you know, because you can kind of envision your your frame with that person. So, um, and then Skip Fry. All of these people that I just mentioned, they all had diff- very different styles, but um, 60s surfing especially was in, in a trend, and it sort of went on into the 70s, um, was about quiet surfing you know, and, and not a lot of arm movement and lots of waving. Those surfers also have more of an, what I'd call an upright style. Um, so I, I'd say those were the main influences early on. And then later on, seeing the surfing of Michael Peterson on his little, those little MP single fins. Um, those are not eggs. Um, people would call those a mid-length board today, but um, again, it's a debatable term. The whole mid-length term is just something that was made up by essentially by the surf industry to group together a bunch of boards in that middle ground. It's like, what do you call these things? They're not short boards. They're not long boards. They're mid-length. Um, 
So I would say those are the folks early on. And then there was also a, a local surfer in La Jolla, this guy named Tom Ortner, who I idolized and probably surfed the closest to. But, you know, the, the, the local hero ended up probably being my favorite that you've never really seen photos or videos of. Yeah, it must be quite a unique perspective having that where you've got lots of really high level guys that are in and around your area that you're able to um, to surf with because you can feed off each other. And I can imagine back in those days, I mean, I know for a fact that technique and all those things now that you see so many websites about compression, extension, you need to do this, you need to do that for strength and conditioning for your surfing. There's so much now more focused on what you should be doing as opposed to the feel of what those guys, because those guys taught themselves how to do that. You know, Mark Ocalupo didn't have a surf coach to tell him that no, he needs to. I didn't. Yeah, he needs to sink <laughs> his ass a little bit closer to the deck when he's doing a uh, when he's doing the bottom turn. So yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from with that because I, I was quite similar. I, I looked and you know I loved Nat, Nat Young watching him longboarding was absolutely amazing but the same as watching Bonga Perkins just the two different old school and almost like new school progressive right was was kind of what made me enjoy doing it more and I'm, I'm quite a cynic because I shortboard and I longboard as well I predominantly shortboard and I figured out this other day the reason why I like that more is because it's easy just to put a 510 in the back of my car than it is to put a 96 in there you know but I enjoy <laughs> yeah I enjoy longboarding far more because I find it's more fun you can catch more waves and it, it, it's just awesome and but I think people sometimes get a little bit stigmatized with the size of the board to how they should surf as opposed to how they need to enjoy it a little bit more. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? It's funny for a sport that's supposed to be so free and open, there sure seems to be a lot of rules um, on that. So I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think that you need to listen to like you are, like, you know, the answer for you, like what's the best, but it's not necessarily compatible with your lifestyle or the vehicle you have, you know, um, Sounds to me like you need to get a sprinter van. <laughs> Do you know what I, I did have? A, I used to have an old uh, high top Volkswagen transporter about 10, 12 years ago. And because I was commuting so much, it was just absolutely sinking the diesel. So I had to go a little bit more uh, conservative. Um, okay. I've, now got, <laughs> I've now got a family car. But the only reason why I got that was because all the seats fold down in the back. So that's my, uh, that's my comeback to that one. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your surf journalism because you were the editor of uh, Longboard magazine for a while, weren't you? Yeah, that was quite a long time ago. Um, yeah, I mean, how there. did you get how did you get into writing and journalism? Was it something you did, you know, when you're in, uh, at university, or had you always had uh, a little bit of a passion for for writing and photography as well? You know, I, I sort of just fell into it. I went to the I went to the university. Um, University of San Diego and in the study I did was communication studies I thought I was going to go into sales I thought I was going to be a surf rep for a surf brand you know that's that's sort of what if you weren't a pro surfer then you didn't know what you were going to do you weren't going to make surfboards um, 
the next best job was a surf rep because they were driving up and down the coast and they got to surf everywhere. And I'm like, well, what do you need to do that? It's like, oh, you need to be pretty good at speaking, I guess. And so I took communications. And then within that, I had to take some other focuses. And, and I have no idea why I did this, but I just said, oh, journalism sounds interesting. <laughs> That'll be fun. And that um, opened my eyes to the possibility of writing about surfing. And so I, I begged and pleaded the editor at Longboard Magazine to let me do an internship. And he's like, well, we don't ever really do take interns. You know, it's not something we have time to manage. I said, well, you know, I just gave that whole classic speech of, uh, you know, give me a broom and I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll do anything. I'll take the trash out. And so he gave me a shot at that and gave me little bits of things to do. And I was able to, um, learn quite a bit and at the same time somehow i mean it was my goal to impress upon the editor you should hire me <laughs> so uh did the internship they were stoked and i just mentioned hey i'm going to be out of school in six months just saying if you, you know if you want to hire an associate editor i've got to be available and so they created a position for me um, that didn't exist and i was hired right out of school um pretty sweet and uh just sort of fell into that. And I really had a blast doing it. It was, you know, the, my dream was to be a pro surfer, but I honestly wasn't good enough to, to pull down sponsorships and, and find a way to support that dream, you know, that fantasy. And, but it seemed like a pretty good, I, I, in a way, I kind of thought I was, I was gaming the system where I thought I was pulling off a pretty good scam, which was getting, paid to write about surfing and that magazine would pay for me to go on these places to write about it like this is just as good as being a pro surfer so did that who wouldn't want that though to get paid to write and take for you know take photos and stuff it'd be amazing yeah man it was it was really like a dream job and and, and i knew everyone always says don't go into journalism because um you know you're not going to make any money well that obviously it's true i didn't but um the experiences that went with it it was nuts i the best thing that i pulled off while i was there is i convinced the editor um i'm sorry the editor-in-chief the owner guy motile and i convinced him that you know it would be a great way to cover competition uh coverage is to send me to the event and i should surf in the event too just saying <laughs> So, um, and I have no sponsor, you know, no sponsorship. So Longboard Magazine was my sponsor. I used to put a Longboard Magazine sticker on my board and I entered the events and and ended up doing pretty well. You know, I, a couple of the years I was got number five or number six in North America, which I thought was pretty amazing. And that earned a spot for me to go to the um, world championship events. So, you know, that, that was a great skill. I was there for five years and I ended up leaving um, after five years and going off into the freelance world. And I, and along the way during that time, I picked up a camera and uh, began photography. Um, so for a few years, I was a writer and photographer. Um, and then from that, I spun out of that into the marketing world, which if you know, living in California is very expensive. It was getting hard to exist 
uh, off of the, the measly dollars I was making uh, writing and shooting photos. And, and you can tell from my life, I never was like motivated by the money. That wasn't, but there does come a reality of like, geez, I'd kind of like to not be owing 10 grand on my credit card at the end of the year. It seems like this isn't working. So then I got into the marketing world and was able to exist without having debt looming over me at the end of the year. Took all those skill sets, brought it into the marketing world. And it just so happens that marketing turned into a storytelling type of business because now brands tell their own stories on their own websites, their own social media. And the same exact skill sets of, of telling a story, um, you know, apply. And, and so it's, it was a pretty easy transition. And that, that's what I've been doing for years since then. Is that, like, is that where the Blue Sky Collective came from? Was it you, you kind of had all these connections with different people and you just almost like tied them together to, as such? Yeah. So I, I'm a network of freelancers. I know a lot of graphic artists video folks. And so I, I would be, you know, the guy who would get the band together, a brand would want to do a certain project, whatever it is, maybe they want to do a catalog, redesign a website. I'd talk with them, make the game plan, find all the subcontractors and we go run off and do it. Yeah. So the business I have blue sky collective is just, you know, it's sort of a hub for freelancers. And it just so happens that, you know, most of the work I'm doing now that keeps me busy is with Channel Islands and uh, also with the World Surf League. Um, they hired me to um, head up their longboard tour and just help them make it a success. For, for years, it, it sort of existed and just wasn't really moving forward. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I wasn't. So the last few years, we've been addressing that. Um, name, the, the, the main thing is giving it a focus and a point of view that is relevant with the viewership. You know, like what, what do most of the people that would tune in to watch longboarding, what do they want to see? You know, and if you make a product, you should understand your audience and your customer. You know, if, if your customer really wants pink surfboards, like they really want pink surfboards, but you just continuously make blue ones, um, you're probably not listening, <laughs> not, you know? Um, and, and the job is either to convince them to, to abandon the pink ones and go with blue or start making really good pink ones. Um, and, and that's kind of what was going on with the longboard tour. There was a, a real focus on high, high performance longboarding, which, just for the record, I, I personally have no issue with, no ax to grind whatsoever. Um, I, 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 wrote, I can and have ridden boards in that fashion. Um, but I do understand that um, a greater number of people were interested in seeing a traditional type of longboarding. And I think that's because on the championship level tour, let's say, you know, the shortboard tour, let's call it that. That, that's the highest level, most athletic, highest performance surfing you can see in the world. And then when the longboard comes in, um, it's, it's just a fact that the longboards can't surf that as good as those guys on that kind of surfing. You just can't. The only difference is um, they can walk to the nose. That's really the only point of difference. And those nose rides on those boards are not as... Um, good or mind-blowing as they can be on a traditional board 
Um, this is all obviously subjective. Anyone listening to this could completely 100% disagree and think that traditional longboarding is boring and taking us backwards. But um, I was hired to do this. This wasn't my idea. You know, like I didn't wake up and say, I'm going to make the WSL longboarding traditional. They, they came to me. In fact, I wasn't even interested in the job. I have so much going on. Um, I turned it down and they came back a couple, another time or two and we worked it out. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, let's see how this goes. Let's give it a shot. And um, it, in just a really short time, it's a bummer that COVID sort of happened just as we were getting some momentum. We are hearing really good feedback that people are liking the direction of it um, with this focus on traditional. And, and I think what's happening is if you understand products there's a there's a thing called a point of difference you know of, of if i'm going to get let's say this is an iphone right um well there's the galaxy phone and there's a number of other phones but there's there's points of difference that that is a proposition to the, the consumer of how to like why should i care why should i pick that phone you know and the point of difference for us with the longboard surfing is that um this is a traditional form of surfing that has more of a focus on the beauty of it than it does the performance or the athleticism. Now that may not be interesting to some people and they don't have to watch longboarding, just don't watch it. But if you want to watch it and you like both, it makes a whole lot of sense that now I can compartmentalize like, okay, this is that CT surfing. It's the highest level. These guys are doing airs, the biggest barrels that's amazing, but it's also something that 99% of people cannot do. We know that most people cannot surf like that. Not going to happen. Then with longboard surfing, just like how even you described, you can relate to that because it does seem realistic that I could go on the weekend, maybe not be as good as, you know, Harrison Roach or, uh, you know, Honolulu Blomfield, maybe not as good as they do it, but I can get close or at least feel reasonably close. And um, there's a noticeable difference in, in the product. And now if I tune in, I can appreciate them on their own, like different types of racing sports. They're very different. You know, the cars are so different. This is a circular track. This is through the city. I can really appreciate the difference. So that, that the job has been to establish that. And I think we, you know, that's debatable, but I do think that we've gone in a good direction. We're getting people's attention. Um, unfortunately, we're on a major pause with COVID. Yeah, I, I think you, you brought out a really good few points there. And if you want to tie in the WSL as longboarding and shortboarding, you're trying to create a product, a sport, even though surfing originally is all about, like, was, is, depending on how you look at it, about lifestyle, about traveling, about meeting new people. But when you want to put something up onto a platform, you know, where you've got the world's best, on your screen and you're watching them you're always going to have people who are going to be the haters that are going to have an opposite of opinion of something i.e we want to watch performance longboarding no we don't want to watch that we want to watch you know traditional longboarding but there's always going to be a happy medium somewhere i mean some of the waves that you hold the contests in they're pretty decent sized waves as well and even on a single fin traditional longboard you can still 
do progressive maneuvers on them because of the way that shaping has evolved over the years as well. You know, sure. with a single fin, you can still have a rail that holds and does a really good bottom turn and does a really good, whether it's, I don't know, a snap potentially or a really good drawn out top turn to put that sprout, which is what people want to see, really. Sure. So I think the involvement of everything people just need to kind of get off the high horses and just realize that, you know, that there's so much, so much different comparison and, and, and different styles of surfing. You just need to take it for what it is and just enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, so we had a tour that got put on hold because of COVID. We, we pulled off uh, Noosa, which was the end of February. And as everyone knows is, that sort of middle March is when globally everything just kind of just shut down. Um, so we did have an event scheduled for Lower Trestles and Malibu. Um, those were sort of suspended, I guess. And then we ended up doing a specialty event at Surf Ranch, Wearable Classic. That was an experiment. I think some aspects of it were a success. Some aspects could have been improved. The um, the broadcast itself was way too commercial that it was just it felt like a Jose Cuervo commercial, which was unfortunate for Jose Cuervo because the people that I know the crew there, they're really good people. And they didn't want that. They didn't want it to be like this crazy commercial. They just wanted to support the event. So we learned that that needs to be like reeled way in next time if we do something like that. And I think that's really good feedback. So anyone listening hopefully you don't have a bad taste in your mouth from that because that's something we'll push away from doing that again so we're looking at later this year assuming that these vaccines and, and assuming that politically the, the world starts settling down we could be back on in the september october time frame we do have a permit for new york we do have a permit for malibu and we also um have a slot back at the surf ranch so unless this is going to change for some reason we were going to honor the points of the surfers from noosa last year which joel tudor and calice had won the event it'd be a bit unfortunate for them to have that lead and just say too bad um, i suppose we could do that but i don't know I just, it just seems like kind of fair to let them carry it on it's no one's fault what happened and then pick up um, where we left off with new york so fingers crossed that we can get going again with that and um, looking looking forward to that happening. Yeah, that should be an amazing event to be put on there, especially if you can, if COVID dials down a little bit and we can start getting a little bit more people to come and watch the events because it kind of makes it, doesn't it, when you've got not, not so much crowd, well, yeah, the crowds and the people there to support and watch it as well. You know, the majority of people watch it through the live broadcast. So look, the vaccines are, are, are out there. They're starting to, you know, they've ramped up a lot, you know, just a few days before Biden became president, we were up to about 900,000, almost a million vaccines a day. And the Biden administration is promising that they'll keep up with that pace that Trump started, his crew did. So that's a lot of vaccines a day in a country of 300 million people. So, you know, within a hundred days, potentially 
no one hold me to this math. I'm, no, I, I'm just repeating what I'm hearing on the news. I, I feel pretty optimistic about us being able to get to a place where we can just really start opening things up a lot more. Yeah, I think everyone's going to be in that situation, really, especially for us. You know, we, I don't think we're coming out of a lockdown until maybe March, it's looking like now, which, you know, we've been in it since straight after Christmas. So this is the third lockdown we've been in, which, yeah, it absolutely sucks. Um, well, it does suck, and uh, you don't want to get me started on that stuff. But, like, <laughs> Let's go I, back. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think lockdowns don't work. So, I mean, yeah. the common sense works being decent works, but the lockdowns, it's been, they don't work. So, so let's move on. Let's wear our masks and take care of ourselves, be healthy and get the show on the road, man. What are your thoughts on social media and the, the edits and the short films and the vlogs that pros and to different people are, are pulling out the bag these days? Is it a good thing? Is it a negative thing? Do you think it affects the magazines as well? Cause you know, like surfer magazine went down last year, didn't they? Yeah, well, I think it's already been proven that it did. I mean, it, 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 it put an end to all of them, really. I mean, the only one that survived fully has been the Surfer's Journal, but they really set themselves up to be successful. It's a subscription, a subscriber-based business model, and they, you know, they just don't air everything out on their social media, and, and they, they keep the content sort of under wraps and drive people to getting the publication. If you really care about long form editorial, you're a surfer's journal person, but that's a pretty small major number of people. I, I think they're 25 to 30,000 subscribers is a number I've heard thrown around, you know, at whatever it is, what is it? 90, is it 60 or 90 bucks a, a year to subscribe to the surfer's journal? They're able to survive everything you just described. And, and in fact, they're thriving and good on them. And I'm glad that they're there and doing that for people that enjoy that longer form content. Um, but we are in a fast food culture. Um, we do like to just nuke our burrito and eat it on the way to the beach. So that that is um, more of these little bite-sized pieces on social media. I, I'm, you know, I embrace it. I, I'm not against it. I, I'm always okay, like changing with the times, you know, I, I like to be, focused on what's now and what's happening. And, and I do think there's some real positives. The fact that surfers can share content directly with viewers. I'm, I'm more of an open market person. I do not, I'm, I'm a huge critic of, of large media. You and I are old enough to remember that to communicate with the world, there were people that ha had the keys to the castle. And if you had a, surfboard brand and you wanted to communicate with somebody you would have had to go through I, I don't know carve or wavelength or i'm not sure what magazines are in the uk but and this is nothing against them this is just anywhere you would have had to go run the ad literally pay through the teeth for for someone at a business your size well you don't have to do that anymore and i, th I personally i think that's pretty awesome you know i think the whole idea of the internet originally before all these media people have like completely taken it over and that's a whole other conversation. The whole idea of the original person of the internet was free information for everybody and access to info. And, and I think we're in a really cool time, political news aside, just focusing on surfing only. We're relatively untouched. No one's censoring us in surfing, thank God, because it's not that controversial. 
I think it's awesome. And, and if you are a young, not even young, let's say you're just an entrepreneur with an idea, how freaking cool is it that you can start something today and tomorrow have an audience and build something and good ideas win and good products win. I love that, you know, and I love a free market of ideas. So I'm, I'm on board with all this stuff. The negatives of it only really is that there there's sort of too much, you know, like there's this sort of like saturation to where I follow a lot of people. I've met a lot of people. I'm up to like following 1400 people. I'm like, how did I even, do I even know that many people? And so in my feed, it, it, it starts to just sort of like be this like surfing, 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 surfing. And I, and I think my excitement level of like what gets me excited, the corners have definitely been sanded down a bit. So the, the negative side is that like to really like things to break through and grab my attention, um, it, it's harder and harder to do that. So if I'm in the shoes of the person producing something to get it to the world, and for you to care about it, my job is a lot harder now. You know, me as the surfer or the brand or whatever. Um, so that just makes you have to dig deeper of like, how am I going to make something really unique and special where people are going to stop and give a shit about it? That is a problem with content these days. Like you say, you've got all the main brands pumping out. You know, you've had the Triple Crown, uh, uh, Vans Triple Crown Surfing just go through with people uploading videos and then choosing the winners out of that. Again, really good way to do it in this in time. But anybody can upload their edits on there. It's just the way that they that they put it out there. But yes, it is a really good way of exposing yourself, whether it's through surfing or any other form. Whether you, I don't know whether you're into influencing. People are these days. Don't know why it's a bit weird, but there you go. Um, yeah. But <laughs> that's a different conversation altogether. <laughs> but you know, there's lots of different forms to go from it. But I, I always remember the first film, proper feature film I ever went to watch was Billabong Odyssey in Plymouth. Because surfing films weren't really put here in the UK into major cinemas when they were released. You got them onto DVD or VHS or, you know, you can download them now. So when I went to God, I was really excited because the next day I was going out to Bali and I was like, oh, I'm so amped for this. And they just, just kind of don't get that anymore because uh, well do do i get it sometimes maybe if there's a decent thing coming out like there's a new tom curran edit coming out that i'm quite excited about which i think is out now but it's, uh, coming out that actually comes out today at 3 p.m california time so I, I don't know if that's like close to midnight your time but yeah so th that's really cool because you don't really see that much stuff with tom curran because he's quite an elusive character but that, you know, that, that's the sort of stuff you want to get amped on. But my point being is that content is being pumped out so much, you almost become a little bit used to it. And it, you just become numb to everything. And you're like, because it's in your face, you're like, oh, brilliant. Yeah, another, another 50 foot wave at Jaws. Oh, well. Yeah. When you used to think, you know, again, oh, Bill. Yeah, Billabong Horizon, that opening scene where you've got that, where you've got the swell just generating, it keeps growing and growing and growing. And you sat there going, oh my God. And like you're just saying there, okay, we just watched somebody else surf another 40 foot wave, just get towed in with a million other people out there. Okay, yeah. it's just the norm now. 
that's that that saturation thing i think is killing it a little bit but it's still good to be able to get your content out yeah. there yeah i mean and that's it's like i said it, it things the downside is 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 things are watered down you know i know the editor at the surfers journal says it's so hard now for them to uncover unheard stories you know because everything's so well covered but I, I still don't think I would change it because I think as a consumer, we're in charge of what we consume and you can just start unfollowing people, you know, just follow things that are interesting to you. And I think that's pretty cool that you can create this world where you're sort of checking out stuff that you're interested in. So I, I really embrace it. I, I appreciate the opportunity to connect with people on that level. You know, like I've on my own personal one, I, I've, built a little community of people who are into watching me go straight <laughs> and look kind of cool and casual. But, um, you know, I try to share some insights here and there on the, on the equipment that the, the community I'm building is, is mostly just focused on the surfing. Like you don't, you're not, you're not seeing my daily diary. I don't have a picture of my newborn on there. There are going to be people who really love and appreciate and just want to see that. And they're going to be people who will unfollow me because th there's no depth to it. They want to know, maybe they want to know more about me as a person or they're more interested in like what my garage looks like or, or whatever, you know, so. Hey, you could start a new fashion line. You could have Devin Howard's like, you know, <laughs> shirts or something like that going out there. Good old DH yeah. embedded into your shirts or get a jacket or some socks. <laughs> I do. I have a pretty good shirt collection. I should should start sharing that. That's uh, I've gotten all these shirts over the years and I, I, I'm not a hoarder, but it's just for some reason when I get a cool button up shirt, I'm like, I can't can't get rid of that. I might might wear it again. You never know. <laughs> yeah, my, sh my shirt collection consists of hibiscus Hawaiian shirts and uh, cowboy like mop square shirts that are in my wardrobe so you have a baseball shirt on right now that that two-tone shirt you're wearing that that's what people would wear under their baseball uniform here growing up yeah is that a military shirt or what would no no this is this is just like it's a casual t-shirt yeah, yeah it's just a casual one i kind of like it that do you know what they're really difficult to get hold of in this country they're not really like a fashion item i wouldn't say yeah, that, I mean, if you look back in the in the 80s, you'd see a lot of people wearing those. And for baseball, you would get you'd have that shirt so that when you were playing a game and it was cold, you know, because you know you have the the short sleeve baseball shirt and they're usually nylon or polyester, not very warm. And and for the night games or whatever, you'd throw that on and it would be the same like team color. So that brings back good memories. Have you got any uh, future projects coming up that you're looking forward to or you can mention? Is there anything going on? Oh, there's a lot going on. I've been working on a surfboard. It's all surfboard stuff. So sorry. That's what I do. That's what I do. Well, the main project will be raising um, our son Rex. He was born a month ago. So that'll be the, the number one project. And um, everything else falls in behind that. There's a surfboard with Wayne Rich. Uh, Wayne Rich is a well-known uh, traditional sort of craft board builder here in California. And we are on to a surfboard that is pretty amazing. Um, it is sort of a the next generation of a traditional longboard. Just leave it at that. Pretty close to finish with that. 
Uh, there's another mid-length or two with Channel Islands. We have a single fin project that is freaking sick. Taking a look at single fin mid-length egg boards. Uh, me personally, I've always found them to, to be missing something. The way I like to surf is I, I like to really push off the bottom and then the cutback, like really drive through it. And some people are like, just get a short board if you want to do that, which is funny. <laughs> but um, I'm like, okay, good point. But I found that in the, the, the single fin midi size boards, it just didn't drive through as well. You know, they were, they were cruisy and free, but they just didn't have that extra spice. So I've been curious on how can we get there with that? So that's what we're working on. I think we've unlocked something that's pretty spectacular. So in a few months, I'll be sharing some info on that. So keep your eyes peeled. Really cool. We made a, a an actual new fin template as well. And it, and it, it has a lot to do with a very unique um, contour on the bottom. I'll just leave it at that. And then messing around with some twin fin versions as well. I've got, had a lot of people ask, like, why don't you have twin fins and why, why this two plus one thing? And the two plus one is there because it was the best of both worlds. It gave you the freedom of the single fin, but a little bit of that drive that you would get out of a thruster or a twin fin, was sort of a happy medium. And I've spent so much time on them. I, I really understand what makes them work. And that's why when people get on the CI mid, almost every single person instantly is like, this board is insane. You know, like that's, that's not usually the case. I mean, people are pretty picky with boards and the ratio of like happy people with that is great. And that's because I'd spent two decades of riding those things and really understanding what makes them work. So now that's dialed, we're going to dive into some twin fin stuff. Torin Martin and every other brand has a million twin fins. So I don't think that we're going to, as of today, going to try to like reinvent the wheel. I just want to find out how to make the best twin fin out of that mid. And we have a new fin template that Brett Merrick made. that's pretty sick. That is going to be the key for us. That's it. I mean, there's a bunch of other little projects that are probably going to take another year or two to get off the ground, but that that's in the surf world. That's the focus. And then the other project is just myself just trying to stay healthy. The, the gray hair is creeping in, the wrinkles are coming. Um, I basically have a desk jockey type of job. So to, I don't like going to a gym. I'm not a workout guy. I don't do martial arts because frankly, the martial arts thing, which I've been invited and encouraged multiple times to do, I, I have this fear of wrecking my knees, ankles, and shoulders from rolling around with some other guy that doesn't know what he's doing. That scares the shit out of me. And that's because I have many friends who have been wrecked by jiu-jitsu, but they also love it. They've destroyed their knees and six months later, they're back doing it. And it's like, I have to make a choice. I want to surf at a high level. I'm not going to roll around on the mat. Sorry. Call me a wuss or whatever you want, but I've made that choice. So the project on myself is like, well, what else am I going to do? I can't. So I've been doing this, you know, I'm not going to claim anything, but for a number of weeks now, I've really committed myself to an exercise regimen every morning. I, I missed it this morning because we, I chose to use this time for that. So I've sacrificed my body for the grumpy surfer today, but I'll make up for it tomorrow. 
I'll go to the gym for you later if you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and and uh, there's other guys my age that that are, you know, getting into this. Um, I always just thought surfing was enough, even though in the back of my mind I'm smart enough to know that it is not enough. So just getting over the hump of showing up, you know, I'm I'm five or six days a week doing these exercises to get ripped, but no, not to get ripped. I'm looking for flexibility and strength. I want more strength in my legs. The waves that I'm riding are kind of long and I'm finding that halfway through or toward the end, I'm running out of steam with the compression, you know, and pushing out. And it's, it takes a lot to, to drive these eggs through and do the lines that I, I would like to do. Yeah, I got, there's a lot going on, man. And that's not even talking about just like showing up to work every day and surfing still. <laughs> it's just a daily grind, right? It's great. I, man, I'm blessed. I have no complaints. You know, like the fact that I'm still employed through COVID this entire time, I'm honestly, I almost feel guilty to be, to, to be really honest, you know, because there's a lot of people that are suffering not to get like, take it down a notch, but very lucky. And I think it's important to, you know, life, you have these highs and lows, you know, and I've had many lows, but the one great thing about human beings, if you have the right mindset, you can be in the lowest spot and come out of it by prioritizing things and not being a little baby. Don't, don't be a victim. I mean, that's the best thing I've learned in life is no matter what is thrown at you, put on your boots and pull yourself out of it yourself. Don't, don't wait for a handout from the government from whoever. I mean, sometimes we do need help and that's okay, but to see things through, you got to do it yourself. So I'm lucky and blessed and um, I get to, you know, sit here and talk to you and sip on some coffee. Yeah, exactly. We're both in very fortunate situations during this time. So yeah, I'm with you with that. I'm very fortunate and don't take things for granted, especially kids and, and family and having the ability and still being healthy to go out and surf and do exercise and stuff like you say some people aren't in that situation and it's uh yeah it's a, it's a it's a difficult one isn't it okay so what i'd love to tie this up with Devin, if that's okay is a quick fire round and i call it a quick fire round because it never ends in the quick fire round <laughs> okay so the first question is if you had one surfboard set up to surf for the rest of your life I've had to extend this for you. <laughs> Would it be a single fin, a twin fin, a two plus one, a thruster, a quad, a bonza, or finless? I, I think, sadly, this is a predictable answer, but two plus one. You know, it, it's it's reliable and it works in small surf and especially works when the waves are bigger. So I, I would go with a two plus one, the CI mid. I mean, the, the whole point of that board was I've had Takayamas, I've ridden a number of other boards, they're all amazing, but I just wanted a board that when the waves were like really good, that I could go up to two more gears, like really just push on the bowl and push harder. And that's what that board does. Um, although that sounds disingenuous, like it's a commercial for that board, but it really truly is Was like, what's the point of the board? I'm going to go and buy one now, but you've sold it. You've <laughs> sold it. I'm, I'm going to buy one. <laughs> just copy it go on. I, I get all these messages all the time it's pretty funny like 
people like asking me all these questions about the board. And then like two months later, they, they send me a picture of their like buddy who copied it. And it's like, dude, who cares? Like, go for it. Like there's, we're, we're doing fine. We're, we've got plenty of business. So I, if, if people are inspired by it and t have their own take on it, what we've created, there are people who'd made boards in the similar genre in the nineties, you know, Gary Hanel, Bill Menard, um, Tony Staples, a number of people have had boards that are within this genre. We used to call them hybrids. That's what they were called in the nineties. Oh no, I do remember um, that. Yeah. Hybrid. And the fun board was the board in the sort of eighties and nineties that gave that genre of board a stigma of a coop board because way before wave storms, there was a thing called a fun board. And a lot of guys our age will still make jokes and call, oh, that's just a fun board. The fun board is quite a different thing. The fun board had a lot of rocker in the nose and it had a narrow pulled in squash tail with a glass on thruster. And the board was designed to get a, a newbie to their feet so that it, it a close out beach break they could stand up and, and with that extra rocker, they could fit into that drop. But the problem is with all that rocker is if you want to surf the way that I have been and what I appreciate, if you want to do the Michael Peterson thing and haul ass down the line, you need to drop that entry rocker. So that's what the hybrid is. Good answer. It wasn't a fire, <laughs> it wasn't a fire answer. Sorry. That's good. <laughs> uh, favorite surfer and why? Mm, I mean, this changes for me for a while i was really into torin martin and i still am i think for obvious reasons and and then i've really shifted gears on that a bit not in a bad way toward michael february but the reason i like michael february is and i just put a post of him up literally a day or two ago of him surfing and what i said in it was i really appreciate how adaptable he is and there's you know, there's a few surfers in my lifetime that I've seen be as adaptable. The other one would, of course, be David Rostovich, who for a number of years, my answer would have been Rasta. And Rasta's still amazing. But I, I think I'm just drawn to people who can take their ability to ride waves and apply it um, beautifully to whatever they're on, you know. Even if Michael February had never ridden a traditional log in his life, I'm pretty confident that he would figure it out and, and, and it would look just beautiful. So I'm going to go with Michael February and to boot, um, I've gotten to know him a bit and he is a gem of a human being. He's a gentleman and um, I just really, I like his whole trip. Yeah, he's, his whole, I think flow is used quite a lot these days, but his, yeah. a, his ability to effortlessly generate speed and turn and use the use the relief of a wave mm -hmm. as it's going is what yeah. makes his style so unique i think yeah yeah okay first surf film you ever watched endless summer on beta if you remember beta there was vhs and beta we had a sony beta machine and we it was the second movie we rented when my family bought a vc a, a a machine. Um, did you call it a VCR machine? And it was like v VHS tapes or beta. And the first movie we watched was Tootsie. If you remember that movie with Dustin I, I Hoffman. Think, 
I think I do. Yeah. Did they have a pink cover on it or something like that? I think so. Yeah. It was yeah. like a. It was way ahead of its time in this whole transgender movement. It was a, a man who was having trouble getting a job, so he he applied as a woman and he got the job. Anyways, <laughs> kind of a weird film to watch as a little kid. Uh, and then Endless Summer was the next one. Nice. I had a Betamax as well. Well, we used to call them Betamaxes, not Betas. They, they, were like, <laughs> they were like a smaller version type of a, of a VHS, weren't they? Yep. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. I, I had... Uh, two-thirds size i had tubular swells on the beta max i got that from australia Ooh, yeah. that's a good one it's quite unique the last surfing film you ever watched or you have watched man you, you're stumping me here i don't even know because everything i watch now is so short good question yeah i i know what it was because i saw it in the theater it was a chris burkhard movie the photographer, if you're familiar with Chris Burkhard. The name rings a bell, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, if you look him up, he's like got millions of followers. Is it, I think it was called like something under the Northern Lights or something. It was a it was a surf film that they did up in Greenland or, or Iceland, sorry. Is that the Red Bull movie? I don't think it was Red Bull, no. But it, it did have, um, Justin Quintal was in it. And, uh, yeah, that was the last one where I actually sat in a theater and watched a film. That was maybe two, three years ago. Uh, everything else has just been short little bits. Actually, take that back. What, what was that one that Torin Martin did a year ago where he was down in those right points? Whatever that was. Was that it was, called it's Lost, Lost Track? Is that the one on the motorbikes? They weren't on motorbikes. It, this was just like pure surf porn. They were in Mexico. Whatever oh, yeah, that was. No, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I know I have seen that. It's a good one. Though. God, that was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Last question then. Your dream surf trip. Dream surf trip would be, well, it would be my wife and our little boy, maybe in a year or two. <laughs> it's a little too small now. It would just be to be on the North shore of Oahu for a couple months. Uh, I, I know that place is old news, but my favorite wave, uh, two favorite waves in the world um, is Sunset Beach and Haleiwa. Absolutely love those waves. You just so. broke the stereotype right there because everyone else I've asked this, they've said on a boat in the Maldives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's um, those are awesome trips. I would, you know, or the mentalize. I, I would choose the the North Shore thing because with a little a little one, you know, we could we could have a, a reasonably long stay and enjoy some waves that are really challenging and and give that adrenaline rush that I miss kind of missing here in California. I really love Hawaii. And I love the people and the culture, so I'd, I'll, I'll go with that. Some great answers there. Devin Howard, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. And yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you. And that's it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also leave a comment on iTunes. You can also find us on The Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening.